Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. I would like for us to go ahead and continue with this series. We're on the third week of Getting Past the Past. The first week I spoke to you about getting past your past. One of the first things you have to do if you're going to get past the past is you've got to define what your past is and look at it and face it head on. And we open God's word to Jeremiah chapter 18 where God gives the prophet a vision of the potter's house. And I shared with you three aspects of the pot that the potter was making. First of all, it was the made vessel. The potter was making this vessel. Then it became a marred vessel. There were imperfections in it, but it was in the potter's hands with those imperfections. And then it became the mended vessel. And I told you that no matter what you have been through, stay on the potter's will because God is making you into the vessel that he wants you to be. Yeah, you may have a history, you may have a past, but in the potter's hands, he is able to take that history and that past and make it into something that is beautiful. And then last week, we focused on the consequences of your past. And I told you that when we accept Christ as our Savior, our sins against us, our, our sins against God are forgiven and forgotten. Praise God for that. Amen. The things that you have done wrong in your past, once you've asked for forgiveness, they are forgiven and they are forgotten. But unfortunately, we are not immediately free from the consequences of our sins here on earth. The law of sowing and reaping still applies to good decisions and poor decisions, and sometimes we're left with the consequences of that. And so if you find yourself left dealing with the consequences of your past, even though you are forgiven by Christ, I told you that there are some steps that you must take to deal with the consequences of your past mistakes. First thing you have to do is you have to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't expect grace, but when you get it, it is, it is that much sweeter when you don't even expect it. Don't expect forgiveness. But man, when you get it, you're going to appreciate it so much more. So humble yourself and then go and sin no more. Just like Jesus told the woman that, that the people were accusing her of adultery, he looked at her and said, go and sin no more. And, and next week, I'm going to finish this series with tomorrow is not your past. Tomorrow is not your past. But before we get there today, we need to deal with getting past their past. Some of you are here today just because of the topic. You, you have been dealing and struggling with, with people and, and how they've sinned against you or what you've heard about them and all this other stuff. And so you're here today to help get past their past. And hopefully by the end of this sermon today, I'm going to be able to help you with that. More importantly, God's word is going to be able to help you with that. At a convention with their wives, there were these two businessmen who were roommates back in college. And so they sat down in the hotel lobby just to catch up, and, and they ended up staying there all night talking. Both of them knew that they would be in trouble with their wives for simply just staying out too late. And so the next day, they happened to see each other in the lobby as they were checking out of the hotel. And, and one friend looked at the other one, and he said, what did your wife think about us staying out all night? He said, I, I walked in the door, and my wife got historical. He said, historical? Don't you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She told me about everything that I ever did wrong. <laughs> historical. The past is a very powerful weapon. The past is strong. Many of us, we can't remember what we had for breakfast yesterday morning. But we can tell you why we don't like a certain friend or family member because of something they did years ago. That's how strong the past is. It's powerful. 
It's so powerful that for some of you, you are going to walk out of this room today mad at me because you are addicted to your past hurt and your past pain and it's become a part of your life. You will, you will think things like this as, as I'm talking today. How dare him? How dare him? He can't say that. If he only knew, if he had been through what I have been through. And I want you to know, I understand because it takes one to know one. Hi, my name is Rocky McKinley. And I am a recovering anger addict. I've been there. I know what it's like to walk through years and years of bitterness. I know what that feels like. And I also know that undealt with hurt and pain from the past will paralyze your future. And so if you don't move past their past today, then next week is all for naught. Next week is meaningless unless we learn to deal with their past and what it means in our lives. Forgiveness really exists on two main levels. First of all, forgiveness from God to us. How many of you are thankful today for forgiveness from heaven? Amen? Amen. Forgiveness from God to us. And the second part of that is forgiveness from us to others. Now see, many people, even some of you right now, you rejoice in the first part of that. You rejoice in in forgiveness from from God. You rejoice in that, but you stumble on the second. We are glad that the Lord forgives us from our sins, from our failures, from our mistakes, but we are troubled when we know that we need to forgive someone else for theirs. Unforgiveness is more subtle than most sins. Unforgiveness is sneaky. It really is. Because it will crawl into your spirit so gently. A lot of times unforgiveness doesn't come in forceful. So innocently it will come in so that you don't even know that it's there until it has completely gripped your life and gripped your heart. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. And so they spent hours and days even talking. They began eliminating various possibilities. Incarnation. That was a good topic. But other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection was another topic. But again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on and on for some time until they said that C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, walked into the room and he asked, as only he could, what's the rumpus all about? And they told him they were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded with, oh, that's easy. It's grace. In his mind, that's what separated Christianity from every other religion, it was one word, grace. Grace is what separates us from others. The Buddhists have their eightfold path, but no grace. The Hindu doctrine of karma, definitely no grace. The Jewish covenant even lacks grace. The Muslim code of law, no grace. Each of these, they offer a way to earn approval from their deity, but they all lack grace. It is only Christianity that dares to make God's love unconditional. And that unconditional love is extended into our lives every day. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. That means no matter what you did yesterday, there's enough mercy coming into your life today to cover that sin. Amen? We're called to be the conduit of God's grace. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives his disciples a step-by-step plan 
on how to deal with someone who has hurt or offended you. It's beautiful, beautiful. Matter of fact, I want you to go ahead and turn there. I'm, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what he says, and we're going to pick up after that conversation. But, but he tells his disciples, he says, listen, if you have an offense uh, you know, where your brother or your sister has offended you, here's the steps. And, and there's, there's only a few places in Scripture where it actually gives us a step-by-step process. And this is one of them. And let me tell you that when this is followed, it always brings about some type of healing. Every time, every time. Jesus said, if someone sins against you, go by yourself. Go alone. Don't take somebody with you. Don't go and start sowing discord and spreading rumors. He says, go by yourself and tell them their fault. Tell them what they did that hurt you. And if they listen, he said, then then you have gained a brother or you have gained a sister. He then said, if that doesn't work, then you are to take one or two others with you. I know what Jesus meant there. Take someone of the faith. Take someone who has an eternal goal in mind. Take them with you so that they can help bring some kind of of resolution to this thing. He says, if that doesn't work, then that's when you get the church involved. That's when you will go to the leadership of your church and you will get them involved. And it's a beautiful formula. And I even got to see this play out this week in my own life. As I was the recipient of someone extending grace. It was beautiful, beautiful. I'm telling you, in my role as a pastor, very, very few times have I ever received it quite like this. Normally, people would rather go and and have the pastor for for lunch after Sunday service. You know that, right? You know what that looks like when you sit around the, the dinner table there and you talk about everything you hated about the pastor's sermon and your kids pick up on it. I know, I, they, when your kids start being mean to me, I know what you've said about me. But this week, somebody set up an appointment with me and came to my office. And the purpose of the meeting was to share with me how they felt. They were concerned with how they were feeling and what they felt like I was doing to contribute to those feelings. And I I have to tell you, they walked in. Right place, right time, and right attitude. They came into my office. It was a sweet spirit. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't mean. But yet they told me, here's how I'm hurting. And it gave me an opportunity to, one, to put their fears at rest that, that no, that is not what I meant. That is not the direction that I am going. And we were able to sit there and talk and grace filled my office. It was beautiful because they came to me and they didn't go to anyone else. And there were no rumors flying around. There were no fires to put out. I could just simply explain my side. We could restore a relationship that the enemy was trying to destroy. Jesus saw grace everywhere. But you know, he never really stood up and defined grace. He never stood before a crowd and said, here's the definition of grace. He never did that. But yet he would define it through parables. He had a way of telling a story that people could grab hold of what grace really meant. And so right after he gives this formula to his disciples for working through our offenses, when somebody offends us, he gives them this formula. And right after that, Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. And that's where I want us to pick it up. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Now just hold your spot there for a moment because I get it. 
I know what Peter is saying. I know exactly what he's saying. Peter used the number seven because he's been hanging out with Jesus long enough that he knows that seven is a significant number in the kingdom of God. Seven is a number of completion. The number seven is used over 700 times in most versions of the Bible and upwards of 820 of some versions of the Bible. Throughout God's word, the number seven was used to convey completeness. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. It was complete. Jesus is, is quoted as saying seven things from the cross before he died. One of those, and possibly the very last one, was it is finished. Seven sayings from the cross. It is finished. It brought about completeness. Seven is that sign that it is done. So when Peter asked Jesus, should I forgive as many as seven times? Really what he was saying was surely Surely, Master, forgiving someone seven times is enough, right? I mean, after a while, enough is enough. After you've extended grace seven times, Jesus, that, that's enough. That's, that's complete, right? I, I'm done with this situation. I'm done with that person. Because you can only give someone so many chances. And then Jesus follows with a typical grace answer. And listen to how he explains grace to Peter. Let's pick it up at verse 22 real quick. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In this parable that Jesus tells Peter about forgiveness and about grace, he turns the entire Old Testament law upside down. Because the law said an eye for an eye. The law said, stone them for certain sins. But Jesus was saying, wait, extend grace, give them another chance. Last week I told you that the feeling of entitlement is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses against us when we mess up. Expecting someone to forgive you is not walking with humility. When they do, it's icing on the cake. 
But expecting someone just to get over your offense is not humility. But listen, if you've been wronged, justification is your worst enemy. Don't miss this. Don't. When you have been sinned against, when you have a reason to be upset, you're justified. And justification is one of the worst enemies of those who have been offended. You'll convince yourself that you're justified in your anger and your hurt and your bitterness. And yeah, you may be justified in it, but the kingdom of God is not about being right. The kingdom of God is about forfeiting my rights. I I knew I was not going to get very many amens today. I knew it. I knew it. I told you. It's about forfeiting my rights. I recently saw a video that someone posted on Facebook and it saddened me for a couple of reasons. First of all, the whole world got to see a man destroyed, blown up. He was standing next to a missile launcher and it wiped him out. After watching it, a sick feeling came over my stomach. But what bothered me the most were the comments that followed. Because one of the comments said, enjoy hell, you piece of scum. I need you to know this, and I need you to understand something about me. I am patriotic. I love this nation. I will always stand in allegiance to the flag. Something horrible, this, this, this feeling just comes over me when someone is burning our flag, when someone disrespects our flag, when someone disrespects a soldier, someone who's given their life. You have to understand how I feel about our nation. My family will tell you, if we are watching a sporting event on TV and they start singing the national anthem, I am the one in my house. I am extremely legalistic about this. I will make everybody stop what they're doing. If you're washing dishes, you will turn off the water and you will stop. If you are singing a song, you're going to stop. If you're having a conversation, we're going to stop and we're going to listen to the national anthem. That's who I am. That's how I believe. So you need to understand that about me because what I'm about to tell you is going to tick you off but I want you to hear me out I thank God for the men and women that are fighting for our freedom and I praise God for what they're doing to rid this country of terrorism there are things that they do that they do not want to do that that it requires of them and I thank God that they are doing it but at the moment we begin to celebrate someone spending eternity in hell we've missed the point of grace completely it breaks my heart that ISIS is threatening my Christian brothers and sisters. God knows I want them wiped off the face of this planet. And you can tweet that if you want to. But you need to understand they're not the first ones to do it. ISIS is not the first threat against Christianity. Long before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, he simply went by Saul. 
The Bible tells us that he held the garments of the men that stoned to death a young preacher by the name of Stephen, a great leader in the early Christian church. He holds the coats of these men that are stoning Stephen to death because of his faith. He holds their coats so that they can wind up and throw harder to kill this man, to kill this Christian. And then one day on the road to Damascus, after persecuting Christians for years, a light from heaven blinds this man, this man by the name of Saul, and it's in that moment he is changed. Even his identity is changed. God says from now on, you'll be called Paul. I'm changing your name. I'm changing who you are. I'm changing your identity. And is, it, is that not what is supposed to happen whenever we come to Christ? Thank God I'm not who I used to be. He changes this man. But you know that your reputation will follow you. And when he goes to join the believers in Jerusalem, the Bible says that they were fearful of him, as they should be. Barnabas walks in and says, let me tell you this man's story. It is amazing. He shares the story with them. They let down their guard. They allow him to join their community. For, for a while, he stays in Jerusalem. And he grows and learns in the Christian faith. And you better be thankful that they extended grace to this man that used to murder and kill Christians and persecute them. Because their forgiveness most likely gave you two-thirds of the New Testament. As I shared this past Wednesday night, years after Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright and blessing, Esau, the brother who had been offended, has to make a choice. I can kill him or I can forgive him. And Esau chooses forgiveness. And when Jacob walks up to him, I love his response. When his brother hugs him and greets him and, and extends grace to him, Jacob says, looking into my brother's face is like looking into the face of God. You see, there are people who do not deserve grace, but yet God will use you to extend grace into their lives. And when you do, when they look into your face, it'll be the first time they've ever seen God. Because it's like looking into the face of God is what he said. It's hard for them to see the face of God when you're harboring bitterness and anger. Let me reinforce it with some scripture today. Colossians 3 and 13 says... Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4 and 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Luke 11 and 4, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Mark 11 and 25, and when you stand praying, Jesus said, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Man. There was a man by the name of General Oglethorpe that once said to John Wesley, he said, I never forgive and I never forget. To which Wesley replied, then sir, I hope that you never sin." You see, your forgiveness is directly linked to your ability to forgive. It's plain in Scripture. We pray it when we say the Lord's Prayer. Last week I told you that humans do not obtain the divine attribute like God of forgiving and forgetting. 
We can forgive, but we can't forget. This means that we may have to wake up every morning and forgive them again. And let me tell you, that is exactly what I have had to do in my life. Never thought that I could, could ever forgive certain people. Never thought that I could. I held on to bitterness for years. Justified in doing so. I was wrong. My family was wrong. My father's career nearly came crashing down because of people that offended my family. His health declined. And for years, I held on to that. Bitterness. Anger. I told the Bible study Wednesday night that it was this past year. After God had been dealing with me for long enough that I finally went and met this person that offended me the most for lunch one day. And I could tell you this, God gave me grace when I needed it the most. And I know that when that person looked across that table from me, looking into my face, they had to see the grace of God. Because there was a moment when they looked in my eyes and I hated them. It's tough. You know, holding an offense against someone is very time consuming. Jake, will you help me? Just bring your chair up here just for a second. Jake, I don't like you. I don't like you at all. You get on my nerves. I can't stand you. Sit down. And here's my offense, and I'm going to hold it over your head. And, as long, and it matches your shirt. And as long, as long as I hold it over your head, Jake, you can't move. You have to stay right there. You get it, right? At the moment that I'm not holding this over your head, you are free to leave, okay? You understand that, right? Okay. And we feel justified in trying to hold it over their heads. They wronged me, and they were wrong. For many of you, they sinned against you. And we feel justified in holding that over their heads. Jake, you don't listen very good, man. And, we, and as long, Jake, Jake, Jake. And as long as we hold it here, We've got them captive, right? We do. You know, some people tell you, oh, no, you don't hold them captive. You hold yourself captive. And, and, and I, I beg to differ with it. I, I, I can hold him captive. Watch. As long as I hold this over his head, he can't move. But at the moment that I come over here, is, see? You see what happens, right? As long as I hold it here, he can't move. But at the moment I start functioning in life that... Because here's what happens. You've labeled yourself the jailer. And as long as you stay there in the jail, he can't leave. And you are okay with that. And what's happening is you're holding both of you captive. You're both behind bars. Because as long as you hold it over their head, you're never going to find forgiveness. You're never going to find freedom. 
But at the moment that you stop justifying your anger and your bitterness, at the moment you realize that freely you have received and freely you should give, at that moment when you get it, you can put all of that away. I want you to understand something. I don't ever have to completely trust you again. It'll take time to rebuild that trust. But I'm not going to hold you captive anymore, Jake. You're free to go. You're forgiven. Let me clear something up. Jake, I love you, man. There's nothing going on, I promise. I just don't want to get beat up after service. It's one of the hardest things to walk out in the Christian faith. And the enemy is going to use that justification to, to wear you out because it's a sense of entitlement all on its own. And you'll think to yourself, I, I deserve this. I deserve to hold it over their head. I deserve to be angry. I deserve to be bitter. I'll tell you, the gentleman I had to forgive, I don't think we'll ever be best friends again. We were at one time. But man, at the moment that I was able to get on my knees and to pray for his success was the moment that I knew I had truly forgiven. Jesus said to pray for your enemies. It's one of the strangest things to pray for your enemies. Somebody that you have ought to get. Somebody that you're holding bitterness and anger inside against. It, it's tough. But you get on your knees and you start praying for their success and see what happens to you. One, it's amazing when they succeed and you realize God just answered your prayer for your enemy. It'll build your faith in God like never before. And Jesus exemplified this when he was hanging on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. People are morons. Sometimes they don't know what they're doing. Sometimes they do. It's really not about them. It's about you. Holding them captive is going to keep you captive. Extending them grace, extending forgiveness is directly linked to the forgiveness that you receive from Him. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.